Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hi, this is Kevin Burke of Rachel's Vineyard. Welcome to Oceans of Mercy. Today, you're going to meet a priest, Father Jay Biber, who had a very interesting path to priesthood that included a 10-year period working in international business and later in his priestly vocation serving international ministries that help those who are wounded by abortion and by various kinds of abuse. Father Jay is a native uh, Rhode Islander and after high school and college seminary, he completed a three-year graduate program at the Catholic University of Louvain, Belgium. Upon completion of his academic work there and prior to his ordination, he left the seminary and entered the world of uh, international banking and business, industrial chemical manufacture and sale and power plant construction. He did this for 10 years. He received an MBA from New York University and certificates from prestigious European schools of business. In 1982, we once again be, uh, became interested in exploring the possibility of vocations of the Catholic priesthood. And at the invitation of a friend, uh, he looked at the Diocese of Richmond. He was ordained to the priesthood by uh, Bishop Walter Sullivan in 1985. In addition to pastoral responsibilities of various parishes and schools, he maintained a 25-year uh, involvement with several lay-led ministries, including Crisio and Catholic Engaged Encounter. In 1997, he started his involvement with Rachel's Vineyard Retreats that led in time to him serving with other programs for trauma and abuse developed by uh, Dr. Teresa Berg. Father Biber will share more about that in our interview. Father Biber has worked with students uh, on the local campuses of Washington and Lee University and law school and the Virginia Military Institute, both in Lexington, and undertakes research to help enable the church at a cultural time so dominated by the secular narrative to recapture her role as a central shaper of culture and the human imagination, recreating in new and lively forms the classical narratives by which Christians live. This has led his offering services to parishes in the form of missions, retreats, talks, days of reflections on a variety of subjects, affording him the opportunity to serve parishes by integrating nearly 40 years of parish leadership experience with a wide variety of other experiences. Wow, what a life journey so far, and God willing, much more to come. We're so blessed to have with us today, Father Jay Biber. Thank you. Welcome to Oceans of Mercy, Father Biber. Thank you, Kevin. Boy, I have so much I want to cover with you. We have a short time, so let, we're going to jump right in. Sure. But where I would like to start, because I was so interested in, in reading, reading your Bible in your bio, I'm really interested in hearing more about your that time in your life when you decided to leave seminary and and then you entered into the world of international business. And so that's part one. The second part, which I'll remind you about, is uh, how that uh, in God's providence, how that experience uh, you see impacting your priestly ministry. But let's start with, you know, that time in your life when you're you're in seminary and you're and obviously you're you're doing very well and successful. You studied abroad. Share with, share with us more about that. Well, going back uh, as a seminarian in those years at the end of the late, late 60s and early 70s, for any of us who were, any of you who were alive at that point, uh, as a seminarian, I had one foot in the 
16th century and the other foot in the 21st. Uh, it was a wild time. Uh, as I think Woodstock and Humanae Vitae were the same year, 68. And so they were wild times in Europe as well. And so the, the, I guess the lid was off. And so those years, those years at Louvain where I had some marvelous, marvelous professors, it was still a time when everything was starting to, you know, priests were leaving, nuns were leaving. That never happened. I, I didn't know what to do with that. And there came a point, uh, there came a point as I approached uh, maybe a year away from ordination to diaconate that I said to myself, you know, I wouldn't want to be one of the ones who leave. And so with everything sort of going so crazy right now and, uh, you know, the liturgy had completely changed. I remember we had a, a Bob Dylan mass and a Jethro Tull mass oh, wow. <laughs> and just trying to find music and wow. It was really uh, pretty crazy. Was off, And so I said to myself, you know, I had come to appreciate the business world and working over there with ministry in Antwerp in particular, which is a big business center in Brussels. And so I said, you know, I think I want to go into the business world. Uh, and so um, I, I, I said, I'm taking a leave from the seminary. Didn't think I'd go back. But that's so before ordination to diaconate, that's when I let my diocese of Providence know that uh, I'd be taking a leave. Well, that was I just was uncertain. I just didn't know if I had the faith. I was just there was too much unknown. But that to me, that showed great prudence, actually, um, to understand the this what you were seeing in the church and to, to really, um, mm. in some ways, I think you were very protective of your vocation in, in one sense, you know? Like, I'm not sure know. I always thought of it that way. Well, that's how <laughs> it looks maybe, like. yeah. <laughs> that's, how I'm, uh, that's, that's one interpretation anyway, but that's the way, the way I, it certainly had that impact because look how long you've been a priest at this point. So you had that period of, um, of, of being able to step back and be involved in the business world. And then how did you, how did you feel? How did you experience that calling back to priesthood at that point? Well, you know, some people said, Father, do you think it was the hand of God? And I said, no, I think for me, it was the foot. It, <laughs> it was, um, I think I got nagged. I, I, I thought I'd get married the whole time, came sort of close a couple of times. Uh, but it was, uh, it was after those 10 years, and I enjoyed the business world. I really enjoyed it, still do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it was something nagging me. It was more than nagging. I think I was trying to resist the hound of heaven, uh, but it was nagging me. And so finally there came a point and I said, well, I've got to give this a look. And that's where I sort of said, listen, I'm 10 years out of seminary. I'm neither seminarian nor am I ordained. So I don't really fit in, but I'd like to know if I have the faith to be able to do this. If people would think I did, how what I would think of them, all the uns, all the unknowns, and that's where I had the chance with Bishop Sullivan, who said, "Well, we'll put you in a parish and we'll go from there." Beautiful. Do you think the the years that you had, uh, you were successful in business, international business, and I mentioned the different various aspects of the business world you were involved in? Do you has that? Uh, I would guess that really has been helpful to you in your vocation in various ways. Kevin, for me in the priesthood, yeah, it's been enormously, it's been enormously helpful. 
it's a whole language. It's a way of looking at the world. Mm. And so, uh, you know, I can speak it. And that's helpful. That's helpful with people. I One of the beautiful things about the priesthood, as I've experienced it, is that, you know, everything you've done, good or bad, everything you've done can be put to use. Absolutely. That's the, the beauty of the uh, of our faith. Mm-hmm. Teresa, my wife, Teresa, uh, who you know quite well, of course. Yeah. Uh, and she, to those who may not know, she developed uh, what really is the largest ministry in the world for healing after abortion called Rachel's Vineyard. It really was a, a kind of a pioneering uh, group program that incorporates both uh, psychological and spiritual, very powerful spiritual techniques and meditations and what has proven to be time-tested uh, trauma treatment. And uh, because of the success and efficacy of that program, it's, it's spread throughout the world. But she reminded me of something that I had kind of forgotten. When I forgot, a, I forget a lot of things that, as I approach 63. But um, my, Teresa reminded me that, Ra- that your Rachel's Vineyard site in Richmond, Virginia, was actually the third retreat site established in the U.S. Now there's hundreds around the world. So you were very much a pioneer in this ministry to women and men wounded by abortion. Can you share with us, Father, how you got involved with Rachel's Vineyard? And then I'll have some, lots of other questions. After you. Yeah, I had really, when Roe versus Wade uh, hit, I, I was, I had just left the seminary. I was working as a ski bum in the Swiss Alps uh, for the winter season. And so the whole abortion thing, it wasn't on my radar at all. I had heard vaguely that Europe had permitted it and like that, but it wasn't on my radar at all. And it was really only when I came back to the States, I was ordained in 85. And uh, it was shortly thereafter that it really hit me. And I said, oh my, this is, this can't be. And, but I didn't know, and, and thanks actually, because I was in a parish in Richmond, Virginia and St. Bridget's with Jeline Williams. Uh, who began the, the first of the uh, of the statewide uh, it was called the Virginia Society for Human Life and it predated National Right to Life and Jeline is really one of the ones at Daily Mass who quietly in her beautiful southern way really I became more and more convinced and more and more committed and there came the point as I moved parishes out to the Shenandoah Valley in Lexington I said, gee, I, I have to get involved with this thing. Um, but I want to do it in a very, I want to do it in a way that's very, um, that's very helpful and maybe helps those who have had abortions because we're always accused. I, I take those accusations seriously. Maybe I shouldn't, but we're always accused. Of course, I'm not really caring about people. And I said to myself, well, I, uh, so what I did out there, we began a thing called, um, we were the first in Virginia to do a, the nurturing network that was for professional women and mm-hmm. college mostly who had a lot to lose uh, to take their pregnancies to term. And uh, but this Mary Cunningham Eddy uh, began that we became involved. But then I got reposted in 1996, 1996. I got reposted to the Richmond area and what worked in Lexington a lot like a lot of times in parishes it didn't work in my next Richmond area parish. And so um, I was open. And that's when I got the call. 
Kay Marie and Joe Geiger in the next parish over had begun to research this. And I met them and the rest is history. Teresa came and visited us, traveled around Virginia in I think 97. And that's when we began it. Do you remember your first Rachel's Vineyard retreat that you participated in? Oh, probably not in, not any specific details of it that I can think of right now. Were, were, I, good. No, I'm nothing. No, no. Uh, were you involved initially uh, in ministering as a priest? Is that, is that, were you the team uh, priest, you know, were you doing confessions and? Oh yeah, I would. Yeah. That's all I've ever done. Yeah. Basically pastor of a power path. I was a, a deacon and a, a vic vicar at St. Bridget's. And then from 89 on, I was a pastor and most of the places had schools, but I was a pastor at several parishes. So that was my work. So what I did with the lay led ministries, because I always felt that's where the energy was. The energy wasn't going to come from the corner office. Right. The energy came from the laity. And, and the power of the spirit, but they needed help in not going off the rails. Yes. They needed yep. a connection. They needed a connection to the center. And I, I tried to be that. And, uh, but that's because this is where I found the energy. And I loved the idea because here we were the church and people said, you do this for those who had, a, we thought you were against abortion. And we said, we are for a lot of good reasons, mm -hmm. but basically that doesn't mean we, 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 that doesn't mean we ignore those. doesn't mean we love them any less. Absolutely. And so I said, see if NARAL does this kind of ministry. See if NRA <laughs> does this. But your, your, your local Catholic church does. Yeah, beautiful. Father, um, as you were got involved with the retreats, did it, it, how did it impact the way you looked at abortion and perhaps preached about abortion? Did, can you, did anything touch you from that or any? Yeah, it, it helped immensely. I think especially as I would preach about it, I, those early years, of course, I was so more overwhelmed by how horrible, the horror of it. But when, when that tone gets in your voice, for those who are already defensive about this, and when I'm looking out at 500 people in the church, I don't know. I, I assume they've all been touched in one way or another. Mm -hmm. But I don't know who's who. And so if I just hit it face on, it can be very, very off-putting because people are so defensive to start with. Mm -hmm. And so what this gave me, first of all, was the compassion. When you've sat long enough with somebody to listen to the whole story and let them finish their sentence, boy, there's something beautiful about that. You develop a tremendous bond and a tremendous affection. And so that's what enabled me, first of all, to approach it with compassion. Now, not abandoning principle, but no. to approach it personally and with compassion and begin to tell the personal stories. Because I think when people hear those, they say, oh, I think he knows what he's talking about. And he doesn't hate us. And so it, over time, it didn't happen immediately. But over time, I could talk about it more as a sort of a sidelight, as an illustration. And that way, it wasn't in your face. Yeah, the, when you mention the word defensiveness, I think of it's they're wounded. It's like it's it's as if you have a, you know if you broke if you injured your wrist and you're and you kind of naturally protect it, 
and don't use it until you feel, you know, it's kind of like that. It's a wound. So I think that's that sensitivity that, and I think you say very, you said it very well is you can have that sensitivity and preach accordingly. And at the same time, not compromise principles. Right. Both, both we don't do that. people, we don't do people any good if we try to dilute it. Exactly. We got to give them the gift. We got to yeah. give them the gift. Yeah, I, I agree. So, um, do you think that there's a value in other priests? And I, I know you would agree with this, but I, I often think that it would it would be wonderful for for priests and and also Catholic deacons to have an opportunity to at least participate in one Rachel's Vineyard as part of their training. I know that that's probably not practical, and some might not be appropriate. It's not as impractical as you might think. Oh, okay, because um, because I, I think it would really be wonderful. I would say it's a master's. I, I, my experience in having done many Rachel's Vineyard services as a therapist, it said it's a master's class in understanding abortion trauma. It really is. You're not going to learn it in a book like you can learn it on a retreat, right? <laughs> oh, there's a depth to it. There's a depth. There's a there's a tremendous sadness that we don't run away from, but there's also a joy. There's there's a, there's a liberation that takes place. Now, what I began to do. Not, not, I did it with Engaged Encounter. I did it with, when I had seminarians staying for the summer with me on pastoral pastoral things during the summer, I would try to hook them up where they would make a Rachel's Vineyard weekend. Beautiful. So they, could, they would not bring an abortion to it, but they'd bring some sort of unresolved grief, which everybody has in one shape or form. And so they would actually go through the experience bringing whatever grief they had but also being in the presence of the whole thing. Powerful experiences, and we're still doing it. I have, you know, basically, we've got some young seminarians in the pipeline, both for Grief to Grace. We've got some priests for Grief to Grace and some seminarians that do Rachel's Vineyard. That's, that's it's like in, in our area. And yes, it. if nothing else, if nothing else, they know what it is, and they know what they can do to refer, and they know some of the key concepts of it. I, I think it's impossible to to go to go through that, and if you really enter into the process, uh, and for it not to inform your pastoral work and your and your preaching, and that's and that's a beautiful thing. I'm so grateful for for uh, for you doing that, for making that connection for for young men who are coming into priesthood. God bless you for that. I well, also boy, think but, of what it's going to do for them pastorally. Yes, it takes them to the real place. And then when they when they share that experience, people are going to trust them. Absolutely, yeah. So we're you know, and that's and it, it it meets the final goal, which we I think motivates all of us is we want to bring those souls to Jesus. You know, we want we want them to to bring them to the divine healer, and also to experience the church and her sacraments and the beauty of that at, at her best. You know, particularly if they've been wounded by the church in some way. So. I was also thinking, Father, of uh, I was on a retreat serving as a counselor, and there was a, a diocese near to us who had their. I was sending a therapist to go through the retreat for for the same kind of idea that you were thinking with the seminarians, just to give them a better idea of the of what people experienced, and then be able to then uh, to counsel better in their in their Catholic charities work. Yeah. So I was, you know, kind of accompanying her and answering any questions she had. And she said, well, 
you know, I, I haven't had an abortion. So I, I, you know, and I said, well, just go through the process and find and, and pray about it as you go through and see if there's some way that abortion has touched your life or if there's another way that you can uh, do some of the rituals at the end. We'll, we'll, we'll work on that as we go through the through the retreat. So lo and behold, Saturday, she's listening to the stories. One of the stories, maybe two, featured somebody whose sister or friend helped pay for the abortion or drove to the abortion mm -hmm. and how they, you know, they were upset about them doing that, whatever. And she said, oh, my gosh, I completely forgot that in college I drove my best friend at the time to the abortion center for her abortion. And I never thought of myself as an accomplice in that. And it just hit me. And I thought, you know, isn't that amazing? How many how many of us have have had that role of some kind, not directly, you know, participating, but yet, you know, <laughs> right? Oh, you're right. Yeah. You're right. And and those things have those things often don't surface for years and years, and then all of a sudden they do. That's what's great about Rachel's Vineyard. If someone's listening who says, Oh my gosh, that was me. And, you know, do I need healing of that? I would say you know, definitely bring that to confession. And, and, but at the same time, that's, what's beautiful about Rachel's vineyard is you are welcome on a Rachel's vineyard retreat. If you feel like you've been directly involved in an abortion or hurt by that and directly call one of our retreat sites, talk to the local uh, facilitator and see if, if you might want to consider a Rachel's vineyard retreat as well. Right. Father. Absolutely. It's and each person brings when they bring different dimensions, that helps everybody else who's there. You're you're bringing a gift to everybody there so because true. it adds to your story. You begin to understand better exactly what happened. That's a really, really good point. Whether you're the father of the child or mm -hmm. whatever your role was, uh, grandparents, that if we even had siblings, we've had folks who are involved in the abortion industry or who were a nurse and didn't have a, just didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. And had to facilitate an abortion. We're traumatized. We have had all kinds. And as you said, Father, the Holy Spirit really shows up and works powerfully to use those situations to bless everyone that in, that is attending, which is wonderful. So I want to segue here. Um, now, Teresa developed the Rachel's Vineyard process because she took some of the techniques and what she was learning. And partly, I think, because she was seeing many of the uh, women who attending were attending our Rachel's Vineyard retreats also had experienced other kinds of trauma. And sometimes that trauma predisposed them to their abortion experience and to some of the sexual uh, problems that were part of that, uh, whether it's sexual abuse or physical abuse. And so she developed a program uh, called Grief to Grace. Could you share with our viewers a little bit about Grief to Grace, how that's different from Rachel's Vineyard? And then how you got involved with that, Father? Yeah. Your wife's a recruiter. <laughs> she really is. <laughs> She's a recruiter. And uh, I happened to, I'd, uh, I had heard about it because I had asked Teresa, this was back around 2000. I had a parishioner that say, Father, you got all these wonderful retreats. You got anything for those of us who have been abused. And I mentioned that to Teresa. And she said, I'm working on it. And um, I'm working on it. And uh, what happened was is that the, the, Rachel's been uh, grief to grace, which for many, it was the those post-abortive who said, you know, 
did tell Teresa from what I, as I heard it, that, that, hey, heck, you know, this was the greatest thing in the world, but we realized our problems didn't start there. Because for so many who have suffered abuse, their whole life was put on a spin cycle, uh, on a spin cycle with no place to touch down uh, from that moment on. And that's what Grief to Grace was uh, a five day long, whereas whereas Rachel's Vineyard's a long weekend, um, three days, but this is five days. And it, it goes it goes into even greater depth for those who's because you, your life, especially if you're a kid, um, your life has been has been churned, has been turned upside down completely. And so this is a major work of reconstruction uh, that she's designed. But this the beautiful part that I love is that combination. You know, as a faith, we, we as a Catholic faith, we talk about faith and reason. We always work with faith and reason. And how she, how she, with the love of scripture, the knowledge of the theater, how the language of the theater, so unique among, and so even as a therapist, we recruit people who are bilingual in the sense that they can speak their profession, but they also speak a compelling language of faith. And so the retreat is integrates the two, you know, as I see it, the, the science of it, which is beautiful, and the faith of it following the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary. The, the second half follows the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary as you suffer with Christ. And so you begin to sort of open up the possibility of, well, I guess a new narrative for your own suffering. And then when you hear the stories of others, the beauty for me, Kevin, is that the second half of these five days, it's like you almost don't need the team because this people who had felt rolled over by life, all of a sudden they can't wait to help one another. Mm. They heal each other. I mean, Christ heals, but Christ uses them as the instruments. And all of, so all of a sudden they've found a voice, not in a strident way, but in a marvelous, you know, loving way. So these, the, so Teresa first got me involved with it. And she says, now, you got to make one first. And I said, Teresa, I said, how many Rachel's Vineyards? This is not Rachel's Vineyard. You got to make one. <laughs> and uh, yeah. but that's the beauty of it. Because if, if you're listening today, if you're out there listening, every single person on that team, now they did, they may know they may not have been abused, but they've got something worthy to take to such a retreat when they make their own. So every single person on that retreat has been there. And so if you're worried about, yeah, no, everybody there. So everybody's familiar, I think, with what goes on and has the heart for it. Wow, beautifully, beautifully said. I, I love what you, you, what you shared about uh, the, the integration of, of faith and reason. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. think that's something that in our secular age, they want to tear that those two things apart, and and I think that at times the church has been somewhat seduced by that in how it's applied the sciences and some of her some of her healing work, and and it is beautiful to see that that uh, kind of marriage in a sense yes. of, the, of, those, well, of those techniques. There's only one source of truth, 
however it comes. And so, yeah, it, that's the way it's meant to be. And, and I think on these retreats, it really is a taste of, <laughs> oh, one of the first ones I did, the Grief to Grace, it was at a place where retired sisters lived in outside Philly. And I bumped into one halfway through the retreat, the retired nun. She said, and they loved these retreats. So they'd be praying for us the whole time we were there in this beautiful house. Mm. And uh, she said, how's it going, Father? Oh, I said, Sister, you can't imagine. It's like Jesus is walking around in there. <laughs> and she looks at me like the dumbest third grader you ever saw. And she said, well, he is. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. You know, just, well, he is. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> nah, duh. <laughs> I think uh, one of the things that struck me, Father, in, in both of these ministries is how, it, obviously, it's not the Lord's <clears throat> will that we experience this kind of darkness in our lives. Yet, he uses that opportunity in these places. Because these sexual abuse and abortion wound us so intimately, Ooh. it touches on areas of our hearts and souls and bodies and our sexuality, yeah. our relationships, our capacity to trust. It touches on such deep levels of our personality that we are, when we are able through that wound in a program like Reef to Grace or Rachel's Vader to open that up to the light of Christ, well then Christ has an opportunity to then given a very intimate experience of his mercy and his love and where Satan may have been doing his business and oh yeah, manipulating our weakness and pain, Jesus can come in there and reclaim the person who he loves, you know, eternally loves uh, with his love and his mercy. And I think when they experience that, as you said, then there's, there's that nat natural evangelical impulse, isn't there? It's like the gospel's coming to life and they want to share the good news, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and boy, oh boy. A complete 180 degrees within a matter of a few days. Wow. Now, of course, it's, we, we really have to say this is not a silver bullet. It doesn't yeah. make everything well all of a sudden. We always have to repeat that. Don't want to have false expectations. But to see so many make such huge strides, it's a marvel and a gift to me and my priesthood. That you know, when I because one of the things I do is I travel up and down the Shenandoah Valley and do other places, you know, travel for weekend coverage, missions, talks, etc. When I can speak the, the, the experience that I, from these rooms, I sense that the Catholic people listening at that mass they're saying, Well, heck, my church is doing something, yes. You know, my church is doing something. And, and and I think it, I hope it restores some of their confidence because they've lost a lot of confidence. They have. They have, and, and sometimes rightly so. At the same time, yep. at the same time, you're so right that this is part of the healing of the church is her being present and being involved like this. And for priests like yourself who are generously sharing uh, the gift of their vocation and their priesthood with these ministries, and, and really bringing the person when when she said the nun said Jesus is walking around. Well, part of that is that you represent the church and Jesus in a powerful way to people, whether it's been positive or negative. Yeah, it's true. And so your well, presence there is so important. 
so 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 uh, so valuable to uh, these people. Well, if you're especially if you're a priest or, or a seminarian who's listening, at the beginning when I first got involved, first met Teresa, I said, Teresa, this is phenomenal. We're going to support this thing, our parish. Uh, we're going to support it. We're going to let it be known. And, and uh, but I said, I don't see much point in me being on there because a lot of times the man is the one who's behind all this, you know, the abortion stuff. And, and so, and then sometimes even the church and the priest and all that. So I said, I said, I don't see much place for me in this thing, but I'll support it. She said, no, 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 no. You've got to be there. She says, because you have to, you can't avoid these things. If you're going to recover from abortion and later, uh, and later uh, abuse, ultimately you have to make you have to make peace in a way you have to go through you have to be with a man the man and you have to also also with the church so yes you're going to have a chance to yell and to get mad if you want to now, you may need to but no you need to be there the church needs to be there for these people to be well beautiful and i said I said, okay, I'll do it. Good. I'm, I'm so glad you said yes, Father. Yeah, me too. It's, changed, it's, it's been one of the things, not the only, but one of the things that changed my life for the better. Praise God. Praise God. And praise God for, for allowing you to be with us today. Thank you so much, Father Biber, for your for your service in, in uh, Teresa's ministries. We're, next time we talk, and we will talk again, you can share. We'll be able to talk about the uh, the outreach to soldiers, which I imagine at that time will be perhaps growing a little more. But we're going to hold off for that for now. And I just want to thank you for being on Oceans of Mercy. Thank you, Kevin. Friends will uh, witness to the power and the blessing of uh, of a holy priest who has uh, opened his heart to uh, to some of these calls within a call, in a sense, in his vocation. I hope you were touched as I was by Father Biber and what he shared today. Uh, please, if you have been hurt uh, by abortion or any kind of abuse, there are programs for healing. As Father Biber said, sometimes this will be the start of a uh, rachelsvineyard.org or grieftograce.org, and you can find programs in your area. You can also, uh, if you want to go to a zip code generated source of healing, all you have to do is put in your zip code. And if you've been hurt by abortion, you can go to abortionforgiveness.com. Friends, God bless you. And we'll see you next time on the next edition of Oceans of Mercy. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.